Well, good morning. I hope you're glad to be here on this Palm Sunday. I know I'm glad for it. And for those of you joining us online, we're glad that you could be part of our worship service as well. We've been uh, going through a series on faith, and this is the fourth and final week in our series on faith. And if you have been with us for all four weeks, you'll know that week one, Pastor Marty started off and we talked about the foundations of faith and how we have faith. And it's when our will depends upon God's word the promises of God's word, we have faith. And in week number two, we talked about personal faith, how it is a private decision between us and God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But that private decision that we make is lived out in a very public way. And we were challenged to let our light so shine before men in the way that we live out our faith daily. And in week number three, last week, we talked about legacy faith, faith for our family. What will it look like as our faith influences our family unit and those around us and how will that look in the future? And we looked at uh, Abraham and how Abraham's faith carried on for generation after generation. And this in our final fourth week of faith, we're going to talk about future faith and how our faith ties into our hope for the future. I was reminded as we were uh, getting ready and studying this and talking back and forth how life can change very quickly. Life changes in an instant. And I remember uh, just a short time ago, I went up to the local convenience store to buy a bag of ice, a little bit low on ice in our house. So I went up there and uh, the line was weaved through the store around the aisles. It came out the door and out onto the sidewalk. And it almost looked like I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. So I got up and I got in line. It was like I was going into a private club. I was hoping I was on the list just to get in and get a bag of ice. I didn't know if it was due to COVID or what it was. But I was talking to the person in front of me and they said, oh, this is the line for the lottery. And the lottery's up to like half a billion dollars. So as a pastor of FAC, I got out of that line. <laughs> That's not the line for me. But all these people were in line to buy a lottery ticket hoping that their life would change in an instant. That when some numbers are read on the TV, they would suddenly come into great wealth like they had never known before in their lives. Maybe they should do the research and see that over 75% of lottery winners go broke within the first couple years. And maybe they should see the statistics that when you win a lottery, relatives that you never even knew start coming out of the woodworks wanting a piece of that. But life changes in an instant. And that's what they were banking on. They're hoping, well, if I buy this ticket, life will change in an instant. You know, we we can break it down to maybe something a little simpler than that. You know, I love watching football games on TV. And uh, sometimes, you know, it comes down to the last kick. Maybe it's a 60-yard kick that your kicker has to make for the Eagles to win one more Super Bowl in my lifetime. Or change my life in an instant. I can say that we were two-time Super Bowl champions. Or how about those of you that are parents? You know, when your first child's born, your second child too. But when your first child's born and and you hold that little baby in your arms, your life changes in an instant. I remember just feeling so vulnerable and being like, wow, she's so small. How am I ever going to take care of this kid? I can't take this kid home. But your life changes in an instant. 
Those of you who work in hospitals or you work as a first responder in some field or another, you've also seen firsthand how people's life can change in an instant, how sometimes tragedy can strike, maybe a car accident or somebody has a medical emergency, and all of a sudden their life totally changes. They have to adapt to a new way of things. See, life is very unpredictable. We hope for the best. We trust in the Lord. We hope that the Lord takes care of us and our families. But this unpredictable fallen nature of the world that we live in can sometimes hit us with a sucker punch or a left turn that we never saw coming. And because life is like this, we try to prepare. You know, we have our health insurance policies and we have retirement accounts and we have pensions and we have health care and life insurance and we try to do all that we can to prepare for the future to take care of the unknown that's coming up. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. I do the same thing. But normal life can be a challenge to our faith. It can be a challenge in how we view our faith and how we view the future. I love in the book of James, in the book of James, the author writes this as a reminder for us about our lives. It's found in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, James is reminding us that life can change quickly. Life can change in an instant. So how do we reconcile all the things that we've said about our faith with an unknown future? And it can sound pretty bleak if we don't have the right perspective when it comes to our faith and it comes to how our future faith is determined. The question I have is, how does your faith today impact your thoughts about the future? As you contemplate that thought, because it's Palm Sunday, we definitely need to spend a little bit of time talking about Palm Sunday, and these two things really work hand in hand. Luke 19 records the people gathering in the streets. Palm Sunday was a time of celebration. And as Jesus is on the colt and he's coming towards Jerusalem, the people are cutting palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There was a lot of excitement in Jerusalem around this time. You see, Jerusalem was under heavy government oppression right now from the Roman government. There was an occupying force of government soldiers that were in Jerusalem that sort of controlled what was happening. The people in Jerusalem were paying heavy taxes. There were a lot of burdens placed on them. They didn't quite have all the freedoms that they wanted to have. It was difficult to raise a family. It was difficult to have hope for the future. And they had just seen Jesus performing all these miracles and heard the teachings of the Messiah. And they put all their hopes in Jesus coming in. And on Palm Sunday, they're shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't recognize, though, what God was doing. They were looking at a temporal plan. They were looking at a plan that would help them with their own desires and their own wants and meet their own needs rather than understanding God had a bigger plan. It's a real challenge for us to consider God's plan is greater than our own desires. 
It's where our faith really needs to keep us centered, keep us grounded, so that we can understand that the future that God has prepared for us as individuals, as families, as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is a superior plan to any plan that we have. The idea for the outline today is our faith in God today has residual effects tomorrow. You see, if we just pay lip service towards our faith and mask it with our own desires and our own wants, we fall into the same trap that the people of Jerusalem had on Palm Sunday. They very much wanted to be out of this Roman oppression that they were under. So they believed that Jesus was just going to set up his great kingdom here on earth. He would push out the Romans and they would be free to do what they wanted. And they were mistaken by not seeing that there was a bigger picture. So how can we hold a strong position of faith and at the same time hold our future with an open hand? We want to look at an example from 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, where the Apostle, the Apostle Paul is writing two letters to the church in Corinth. And a little background, a little history before we read these verses. Corinth was a city, is a city in Greece. It's a seaport city. There was a lot of commerce, a lot of trading going on there. Corinth was also very wealthy in terms of its product and in terms of its economic growth. And because it was so wealthy, it was also very immoral. Sound like anywhere else you know? Corinth was a very wealthy and very immoral town. And because of that, the church in Corinth had a multitude of problems. The church in Corinth, the the church family that was there was struggling with a lot of issues. And they treated their faith a lot like like a buffet. I like this, I don't like that. I like this, I don't like that, I don't want that in my life. I like hearing about all the good stuff that Jesus will do for me, but I don't want to be convicted of my sin. I like that I have salvation, but I don't want to live for Christ today. And this church in Corinth, being so wealthy and so immoral, had a lot of problems inside the church. There was idolatry in there. There was sexual immorality in there. There was drunkenness in there. There were social classes that were set up, and this part of the church really didn't talk to this part of the church because they were a different class of people. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul goes after all of these issues. He writes this letter to the church in Corinth and he tells them why all these things shouldn't be and he calls them out one by one. And we get to one of the greatest chapters in 1 Corinthians which is 1 Corinthians 13. And if you're familiar with it, we we know it as the love chapter because Paul writes how love is superior to all of those other competition things that they're trying to do. And Paul encourages the church in Corinth that they need to lay those things aside and get back to the center of their faith. Shortly after that, Paul goes for a visit to Corinth. He visits the church in Corinthians. Uh, in Corinth, And when he's there, he meets with the Corinthian people, and he is then ridiculed. And they decide that they don't like Paul as an apostle. They don't want to take their, their cues from Paul. And they start to question his credentials and whether or not they should listen to him. And as Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he notes in the very beginning that it was a painful visit to the church in Corinth. It was painful for him to go visit them because of all the problems that they were having and because he felt like he was being attacked. Paul's desire was to help this church in Corinth look beyond the day-by-day trials that they faced and start to have an eternal perspective so that they could do away with these petty arguments. 
And Paul knew if he could get them to focus on the eternal and focus on the things that God had done for them through Christ, they could lay aside those petty arguments. You and I want to see our faith the same way. Our faith can have a huge effect on people today and can give us a hopeful outlook for tomorrow. A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying, if we saw the real world the way God sees it, we would never be attracted to it. I love that quote and I love what he says. If we saw the real world the way that God sees it, we would never be attracted to it. We have to look at the temporal world that we live in through an eternal lens of faith and hope. And as we talk about future faith and we look at just a few short verses out of this letter in 2 Corinthians that Paul writes to this church, you have to keep in mind that Paul is trying to get this church to focus on their faith but see the bigger picture of what God has planned. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 or your Bible apps and we'll also put the verses on the screen. And you can follow along as I read. It says, uh, starting in verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." As Paul pens these words, he's trying to get this church in Corinth to understand that this life we live is temporary. We live a transient life. The trials that you have today are temporary trials. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger eternal focus that we're supposed to have. Point number one in the outline is trust God for the trials of today. I just want to hone in on two verses, First or Second Corinthians four, fifteen and sixteen. These two verses specifically. It says, "For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God." We're supposed to be thankful for more and more people that grace has been extended to. So that we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul outlines that there's a process that we're going through day by day, and every day the Lord is chipping off those rough edges on us. We call that the sanctification process. We've talked about that a lot in church before. The sanctification process is the process of daily becoming more and more like Christ. It gives us an eternal perspective. We'll never quite reach that perfection place here on earth. And until we're reunited with the Lord one day, the Lord is going to keep working on us and keep knocking off those rough edges to make us more and more like him. God extends his grace to us and others around us. And the more he does, the more glory and the more thanksgiving that we need to give to him. 
Paul is saying to this church in Corinth, he says, you guys want to run around and you want to discredit me and you want to get in these petty arguments and have these petty complaints and pick and choose from Scripture. And he's saying, you're missing the point. You're not having an eternal perspective. See, that situation in Corinth was really a messed up situation when you think about what the people were dealing with and and how that church was responding to being called out on their faith. And I know I've felt like that in my own life from time to time where you probably have too, where you just feel like, you know what, life is pretty messed up today. This is pretty messed up. And I'm hopeful that this day ends really quick because I don't have enough grace left to give to people today. And maybe I'll get a chance to start it all over again tomorrow. But it really gives us the perspective that we need to trust God for the trials that we face each day. Back when we were in the old building, there was a gentleman I met there several years ago. Uh, several years ago, his name was Ed Hallowell. Ed was one of the camera guys who worked the camera for the church. And when I met Ed, he was already in his mid-80s. He was already an, an older guy. And I'll never forget, I preached one weekend. And Ed said to me after the service, he says, you know, uh, I think you and I need to go have lunch sometime. I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Ed's, Ed's going to chew me out. He probably doesn't like something I said. I started thinking, did I insult like 80-year-olds in this? You know. So I meet with Ed, and we meet over at the diner. And what I realized, Ed, as he began to tell me his story, Ed was far away from the Lord when he was younger. And as he got older in life, he really began to understand what his faith meant. And he really began to understand what the Lord was doing in his life. And Ed would make these appointments with me. He says, can we meet again in two weeks? Or can we meet again next month? And this became a frequent thing. And, it, you know, it was an odd friendship because Ed was almost 50 years older than me. But we were hanging out all the time. And we were talking. I remember every once in a while I'd go to the diner and there would be another guy there. You know, and, and I'd be talking to this other guy, and this, this other guy would say, I can't believe you believe that Bible stuff, you know, and he'd go on and on. And then Ed would call me later. He says, okay, now that's a guy, you know, he doesn't believe like we believe, but I was hoping if I brought him to the diner, you could talk to him. You know, and Ed would do this frequently. I'd show up, there'd be another guy there, be this person there. And I'd get a phone call from somebody, and they're like, yeah, Ed told me to call you because I'm going through a hard time in life. And here is Ed in his late 80s and early 90s, finally understands an eternal perspective of whatever I'm going through today there's a bigger picture here and my friend who doesn't know the Lord needs to know the Lord and this person who's going through a hard time needs to talk to somebody and if they don't want to listen to me I'm going to get them with one of the pastors and hopefully he can do something and you know as Ed got older it became much more difficult for him to come to church when Ed got into his 90s and um, I was very privileged on his last day that his family called me and I got to go to the church uh, go to the hospital and pray with him as he was ushered into the arms of Jesus and I think about Ed and I think about this guy who's in his 90s who never gave up who never stopped fighting the good fight of faith and realized he was going to use each day that God gave him as a gift and as a blessing to try to impact those around him. What a great testimony. He made the most of the trials that he faced day by day. And as he got into his 90s, his trials seemed to mount more and more as his health concerns came up. It reminds me of Matthew six thirty four, where it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
When I think about 2 Corinthians and the crowd on Palm Sunday, they all have the same issues. Everybody wanted a quick fix for the trials that they were facing on that day. Instead of just trusting the Lord, they wanted this quick fix. They wanted a change in their life. We need to trust God with the trials that we face today. Paul says, don't lose heart. Though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. Your spirit's being renewed. God is doing a great work in you day by day. 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The trials of today, the things that we face are passing away. The things that you and I face today, the things that you and I face tomorrow, they will pass. But God is eternal, and God has a bigger plan. We need to trust God with the trials that we face today. Point number two, we need to surrender the trials of tomorrow. The things that we can't see, the things that we don't know that are coming. We're going to look at two more verses in 2 Corinthians four seventeen through 18. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The last part of verse 18 really sticks out to me when it says, the things that are seen are transient. Reminds me of a phrase I think my dad used to say it a lot, this too shall pass. It's a reminder that the things that we face today will pass. The trials that you face today will soon turn into the trials of yesterday. We need to trust God for the trials of today, but the trials of tomorrow need to be surrendered. I love, uh, you know, baseball season rolls around. I do like baseball, and one of my favorite movies is this movie Moneyball that talks about the Oakland A's and how they built this team on nothing. But there's one particular scene where the general manager is in an argument with with the player scout. And the player scout's trying to convince him that they need this player or that player. And the general manager looks at him and says, you know, I've heard you say this all before. And the fact is, you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you tell these parents, I see the skills in your kid and I know what he's going to do. And he says, the fact is, you don't know. You have no idea what's coming. You don't know how they're going to turn out. That line really stuck out to me because it just reminds me of how much we don't know about what will happen tomorrow. When we take it back and we think about Palm Sunday again and the real dilemma of Palm Sunday, though it's a great celebration, Jesus knew what the people did not. Jesus knew the big picture. The people in Jerusalem on that day couldn't see the big picture. And as you get this image in your head of Jesus riding in on this colt as he rides it into Jerusalem, and as again the people are shouting, they're waving these palm branches, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, this king who's going to make everything right. They're thinking only about the temporal. They're thinking only about the day. And I love the way that Luke writes in Luke 19, 41 through 42, and he says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
In other words, Jesus knew what the big picture was. They all wanted their own plan for today. And Jesus weeps because they're so short-sighted in their desires. It's a real challenge for us when we think about Palm Sunday because we love to think about Palm Sunday as a celebration. But there's a dilemma with with Palm Sunday, and that is that people missed the point. They missed what God was doing. They didn't see the big picture. You know, I've said in other sermons uh, before that my family and I, we love climbing mountains. And uh, I've been very, very fortunate to go out west and climb mountains in Utah and Colorado. And we've climbed mountains with friends down in Tennessee and Pennsylvania and Virginia. And we've been all over. And last summer, we got to go to Maine and climb the mountains in Maine. And the thing that I love about climbing a mountain, and those of you who have done it, I'm sure you know the same thing, is that when you're climbing, you only see a small bit. It's just what you're working on, the handholds. You might see a few feet above you and a few feet below you. And you just have this small picture when you're climbing a mountain. And when you get to the top, when you finally reach the peak and you get to look out and you get to see the scenery, you say, wow, that's amazing. Look at this beautiful scenery. Look at the lake. Look at this, all this stuff that God created. Look how far I can see. Look at the mountains. And we get the sense of awe of how great and how big God is. And you know, sometimes when you're climbing a mountain, you get to a scenic overlook where you just get to see a little piece of it. And you say the same thing. And when I think about our faith, a lot of times in our faith, we get to see what's right in front of us. And occasionally we get to that scenic overlook where God just gives us a little snapshot of what's going on. And I think about my own experience here at Fellowship Alliance Chapel. And as a kid, when there was only four or five of us in the youth group going to the little chapel over there to where we are today with all the kids that I see in youth group today and with all of you with this building that we're in. It's like a scenic overlook. I get to say, wow, look what God's done. Look at this climb that we're on. One day we'll get to see the big picture that God had planned and we'll stand back and we'll go, wow, that's amazing. That is surrendering the trials of tomorrow and understanding that God has a bigger plan that is far beyond anything that we can see or even hope for. And that's the real dilemma on Palm Sunday is God had such a bigger and better plan for his son to be their savior, for his son to be their Messiah, and they just wanted things fixed today. And God had such a bigger, better view for them in the future. When we think about our faith and we think about our trials, Philippians 1.6 is a good reminder for us. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, we don't get the privilege of knowing everything. We don't get the privilege of having the big picture that God may have planned. But God gives us enough in his word for us to trust him. He promised us a Messiah. 
He promised us a chance to have a reconciled relationship with him as our creator. He he promises us if we put our trust in him, we'll be with him in heaven one day. He promises us a new heaven and a new earth. He promises us no more crying and no more tears. He promises us that we'll abide with him forever. He promises us that we will have salvation with him if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and he died on the cross for our sins and God raised him from the dead three days later. Those are promises that we can cling to and that we can trust. And even though we can't see the big picture, we can trust that God has a big picture for us. There's a journey that he's taking us on. God's promises are enough for us to fully trust him. We can't see the entire picture, but one day we will. We have to trust God with the trials of today and surrender the trials of tomorrow and surrender those things that we cannot see. I talk often about being in camping ministry, and I will. I just remember when um, when I was in camping ministry, we would have about we'd hire almost a hundred staff members every summer. It was our summer staff. We'd hire about a hundred of them, and at the end of the summer, one of the last things that we would do after the last group of campers left, after we had just served together for eleven and a half weeks or something like that, is we would go out into the field and we would build a huge bonfire. And a hundred of these staff members would all gather around the fire ring. And we would tell stories of the summer. We would tell stories of of campers that we remember and campers who gave their life to Christ and people whose canoes flipped over and people who got lost in the woods. And we would tell these stories over and over. And remember when this kid got sick or this kid this and that. And we would tell these stories and, and we would just come together and really remember all that God had done through the summer. And, you know, when you live with a group of people for that long of an intense period of time, you get very, very close to them. You get to know them very, very well. And I can remember sitting around this one particular campfire at the end of camp, and we had a staff member from England and staff members from Hungary and staff members from Michigan and Missouri and Florida and Pennsylvania from all over the place. And as we're sitting there, a hundred of us, and we're sharing these stories, it dawned on me in that moment that that would be the last time that that group would ever be together on this earth. All the ministry that we had done, all the battles that we fought, all the trials that we had gone through, all the good times, all the sorrow, that was the last time that that group of people would ever be together this side of heaven. And it reminded me of how much We need to trust God for the future. You know, I don't know what happened to a lot of those staff members, and I did 12 full-time years in Christian camping, and I saw a lot of friends, met a lot of friends, a lot of people in and out of the camping ministry and people that we ministered together with. I don't know where they are today. Some of them I know, some of them we kept track with, some became really good friends, you know, others I just lost track of. But there's a hope that comes with the family of God, and the hope is that they're in God's hands. And I trust God with the trials of tomorrow, the things that they face. My hope is that they will continue to minister to people. My hope is that they will continue to spread the word of God. But I have to trust God with the trials of tomorrow. On Palm Sunday, if they could have only said, you know, I don't know what will happen tomorrow, but Jesus is here now. And I can trust Jesus because that's enough. 
You know, when we studied Hebrews and we talked about the great faith chapter, we had all these great people of faith, all these martyrs that we talked about. And in Hebrews 11.38, there's a reminder for us of all these people, the terrible things that happened to them as they were martyred for their faith. But the words that really stuck out to me in Hebrews 11.38a, just the first part, it says, the world was not worthy of them because of their faith because of the way they lived out their faith what a challenge for us for me for you as fellowship alliance chapel as a church family wow wouldn't it be great if those words were penned about our church someday the world was not worthy of them because of their faith because of the impact that they made We need to trust God with the trials of today and surrender the trials of tomorrow. We need to be a church of great faith. We need to be a body of Christ of great faith so that we can impact the world around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time to just be able to study about faith in these last couple weeks Lord we have looked into your word over and over again to be challenged in the way that we live out our faith day by day God there are challenges that we face every day there are challenges that will come tomorrow that we can't even see but we trust you because you know the big picture God it it leads us right into hope Our faith allows us to hope for the future. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ, my church family, for those watching online. God, give us the hope that we need for tomorrow and help us to trust you with the trials of today. And as Palm Sunday is here and we celebrate the Messiah that you sent, God, may our hope be strictly in you because of the great things that you have done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.
the rest of your Palm Sunday. I hope you have been challenged by the Faith Series as we kick off the Hope Series next week. We hope that you will join us on Easter weekend for our Good Friday service, for Sunrise, or for one of the other Easter services. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. Let me say one more prayer for you. God, I just come before you. I pray for my church family and friends. I pray that you will keep them close to you this week. May they be challenged in the way that they live out their faith but may their hope be in you for the future. God, we thank you for these things in your most precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.